You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi folks, and welcome to episode 19 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. I'm your host, Bart Pushatz, and joining me, I have a fantastic panel from both sides of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, on the far side from me, we have Adam Christensen joining us all the way from California, I believe. Hi, Adam. Yep. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? Not too bad at all. Um, everyone looking forward to the chocolate tomorrow, I guess. We're recording this the day before Easter. Day before Easter, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to eat healthier, so I don't know how much of that I will dive into. I have been um eating the uh black jelly beans, which is my favorite. And I buy uh-huh. the bag that's only the black jelly beans. So if you didn't live so far away, I'd post you all my black ones in exchange for any other color. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> on the other side of the Atlantic, on my side of the Atlantic, I am joined by Gazmaz. Hi Gaz. Uh, good evening. Good evening. My my voice is a little bit rough tonight after uh, recently coming back from refereeing a twenty seven twenty six away win in the cup semi final and having a few beers afterwards. So, good evening, folks. Well, I have to say, if a final comes down to one point, it was a good final, and I'm sure. So, sorry, semi final. Sorry, sorry semi final. Semi final. Yeah. It sounds like a good match, anyway. It was. It was excellent. And also from the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, we have Nick Riley with us again. Hi, Nick. Hi, Bart. Good to be back. Um, that's about it, really. <laughs> nice well, look, back. always great to have you. <laughs> Thank um, you. Before we get stuck into the March news, um, I did promise in the February show that we would talk about photos in March, and I've changed my mind. Um, I haven't played with the beta. I know Adam has, yep. but I think at this stage the internet has sort of told that story, so I'm going to hold off on it until the general public get their hand on it, and then we can have a better discussion about it. So... I have a feeling Apple are likely to drop it this month, so the chances are high we'll talk about it next month. If not, it'll be the month after. But basically, whenever Apple release it is when we're going to talk about it. So just to mention that in case anyone's wondering. <laughs> it's a good plan. They are taking their sweet time and getting it released. Well, if it's good, if they get it finished, then I don't mind. If they release it and it's still buggy, then I'll be cranky. So we yeah. shall see. Um, let's start with notable numbers. So Gartner say that Apple beat Samsung in world fi- worldwide smartphone unit sales in the December quarter. Now, that surprised me because I thought there was going to be... A, I had to check through... The headline didn't say what whether it was world sales or not. And I assumed when I read the small print, it was going to say US sales. But it didn't say that in the small print. It is actually worldwide that Apple is beating Samsung, which I just did not expect. Really? Yeah. I mean... Samsung make lots of cheap phones. I thought, you know, unit sales. Yeah. Well, this is these are fourth quarter numbers, right? So this was going into the holidays. When did the and the new Samsung phones just released a little bit ago, right? The 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 uh, S the series, S6, yeah, yeah. So I mean, if you, if you're looking at fourth quarter numbers, Apple had new stuff out. Samsung didn't. Okay, um, and for Christmas, you're going to get something you like instead of something cheap. Well, in the, yeah, and also Sam's. I mean, Apple's been creeping up on that number anyway. So I think Samsung's sort of lost some of their luster. Yeah. So it's a nice yeah. number to see. I don't know that it was all that surprising. I guess the fact you're right. The fact that it's worldwide does add a little bit more um, more shock to that number. 
Yeah. And I mean, it, it's not like, you know, they're not miles ahead. It's close. So maybe you could argue that the, the margin of error means that it's about equal. But either way, I still think it's a good number. Oh, yeah. What are they? 20, both about 20%, give or yeah. take a couple a couple yeah. points. Give or take a little bit of wiggle room. So I'm never sure with Gartner numbers how much wiggle room one should add. So maybe we should actually say they're about equal. But even that, I think, is impressive. It is, yeah. Uh, the other number that caught my eye was one that uh, Tim Cook dropped in in the keynote we'll talk about later, and that is that Apple have now sold 700 million iPhones. <laughs> That's nuts. They can pile them up and go halfway to the moon. What What do you think they're actually going to do when they reach a billion? How many, how many iPhones <laughs> are they going to give away, or how many apps are they going to give away in special prizes when they reach the billion? Given how much money they have, they could actually give away a billion dollars and hardly hurt themselves. <laughs> the, the billionth user gets a billion dollars. That would certainly goose up sales for the last couple of million. <laughs> yeah. Well, the number I really want to know is how many of those are still in active use, though, and how mm. many of those are somewhere else, and where are they? Right, because of those <laughs> 700 million... I, I think, actually, Adam, the, the comparison really is how many of those are are in active use compared to the com- competition. Yeah, I, I bet I bet Apple, I bet you that's a number that Apple would excel at because I see a lot yeah, of people agreed. with a, you know, pretty old iPhones out there. Yeah. Um, they get handed down, they get reused. You know, that's part and parcel, I think, with the quality thing is, you know, yeah. they last a long time. So beyond the battery, you know, if you get a battery swapped out at some point, I mean, a lot of those phones are still very usable as, you know, phones. <laughs> I, I, I really, I really, really shouldn't say this, but who wants a Samsung hand-me-down? <laughs> I, I wouldn't want a Samsung new, so I'm the wrong yeah. person to ask. I mean, no, you've got, you got 4s and 4Ss. I've even seen some, some like, 3GSs still floating around. But to a serious point, actually, Adam, I, I, I've got, you know, we're a family of four. Um, mm-hmm. Myself, my wife, and two children. And basically, there is there is an order of process which... I buy the phone for myself and mm. my current phone goes down to the next person in line, et cetera, et cetera, with the rest of the phones. And that happens yep. year in, year out. I've yep, never scrapped we're doing. an iPhone. It's always, it's always gone down the line. And people have been really happy to get it down the line. Mm. So, I must yeah. admit as well that the number of people that I see in the UK um, – I don't necessarily have Samsung phones. I mean, I, I know they're a big seller, but when I look around me, there's loads of Sonys, there's loads of HTCs, uh, there's a few Samsungs, but I don't know whether it's just where I work. <laughs> well, maybe because I, the guy, I'm, in, I'm in an IT department, and what I yeah, see is yeah. lots and lots of Linux nerds with Samsung phones. Right. And then a few oddballs like me with that, with iPhones. Actually, no, it's management tend to have iPhones, and Linux nerds who are not me tend to have Samsungs. Yeah, uh, I'd, agree sit- with, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I work in an IT department as well. I think it's similar. I'm sitting here with a uh, original iPhone 8 gigabyte in my hand, Aww. and it, it works. I've got to say, the most, um, and this is a, a slight sidestep, mm-hmm. you see what I did there? rugby mm-hmm. step, um, uh. <laughs> is that actually um, House of Cards seem to be doing a lot of Windows Phone 
I imagine someone paid them for that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a substantial amount of money, probably. Still quite a few iPhones in there, but um, I haven't seen quite a lot of, of, of uh, Windows phones in House of Cards. And at work, um, it, it's pretty much 50-50 between iPhone and a another. See, speaking of Windows phones, what I've seen at work is that Windows phones come in briefly, people swear at them loudly, and they go away again. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let us move on into the legal stories I love so much. Um, oh, we love these, don't we? We do. So first <laughs> off, a little update on an ongoing case. There's, this is the anti-poaching case where engineers sued Apple, Google, Intel, and Adobe for their anti-poaching agreement, which they say held their wages down, and they're probably right. In fact, the judge agrees they're right. Um, so there had been a settlement proposed, and it wasn't accepted because one of the employees in question raised objections saying it wasn't sufficient. And so they went off and had a little think, and they came back with a higher offer, and uh, Judge Co. has now given the higher offer preliminary approval. So $415 million would appear to be the cost of, this, of making this all go away for Apple... Google, Intel, and Adobe. Uh, probably not much to say on that, really, other than just that's what's happened. So I want to move on then to a follow-up of a story we talked about last month when we talked about the car. So we had said that a battery manufacturer called A123 was suing Apple for uh, for poaching away their engineers, who they say had a non-compete agreement. And when we last left it, Apple had been sued. Then on the 4th of March, there were court filings filed, which show that Apple was trying to reach a settlement with A123. By the 11th of March, Apple had changed their tune somewhat and had filed a motion for dismissal. So that, that's all that's happened in that case. We'll, we'll see if that motion <laughs> is held. I, I'm laughing because I, I, the underlying message there to me is that they were trying to reach a settlement right. on between the 4th and the 11th. And apparently A123 wouldn't uh, accept any of Apple's offers. So they said, fine. Fine then, yeah, we'll see you in court sometime in the vague future. We'll we'll go the other way and just get the whole thing thrown out and you'll get nothing. Yeah. And one week, I mean, it's exactly seven days between those two stories. It's like they were given a little ultimatum. Well, you have a week, have a think. Let's see what happens. Do you want this money or do you want us to make this all go away, you know, without giving you anything? Now, speaking of follow-ups, this has got to be the follow-up that never stops giving. Um, the Apple antitrust case has had some small developments. Um, it's currently under appeal. And the appellate court seemed to be siding with Apple that Michael Bromwich, the um, antitrust monitor imposed on Apple by Judge Cote, is overstepping his bounds. Oh, uh, yeah, it was great to see some sense coming out of judges, because I think basically the judges <laughs> said what we have been saying on this panel since the story started, that the guy's fees were ridiculous and he was, you know, it was, it was ridiculous the way he was demanding access to senior executives and something. That was not the role he was there for. He's an antitrust monitor, not a policeman who may inquire about everything and anything within the company. But can, remind me, <laughs> <Go on. laughs> this could be difficult. Why is he there? What What is he still measuring, checking? Okay, well, officially, Apple are still guilty of antitrust, right? They're appealing it, but their appeal in, in is reference in progress. To, is this in reference to the iBooks? Am I yes, right? yeah, it's the e case, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, officially, he's there to make sure that Apple don't do any more dodgy e-book deals, but he seems to have decided he's there to just make sure Apple don't do anything he doesn't like. Um, <laughs> which is not what he's there for. So He's Columbo. 
This, this whole thing has been... <laughs> just one, just more, one thing. more thing. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was interesting, if you read through the story, the quotes from the judges, it's interesting to see that they seem to be seeing things in the way that most of the press and this panel have been seeing things for quite some time. So it'll be interesting when, when that uh, appeal reaches its end, how it goes. But if you were to read the tea leaves or to be a betting person, I would say that the ruling may well be overturned. But we won't know for sure until they rule, obviously. And I reckon, uh, I reckon these three judges are actually Let's Talk Apple fans. That's what it is. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's three of our panellists' day job, is it? <laughs> we go by pseudonyms here. Uh, no. Um, I, needed to, I need to check, actually, that hell hasn't frozen over because a, some jurors in Texas have decided not to side with a patent owner. Um, in this case, Apple actually won a patent case in Texas against a wow. non-practicing entity, shall we say. You, I think I know what's going on here. Actually, I should check it wasn't an April 1st story. Give me one second here. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't gonna okay, 26th of happened. March, we're fine. Yeah, I wasn't going to... I think they're probably getting bored. <laughs> another one <laughs> well it's a big enough uh, big enough state there's bound to be enough of a pool of jurists that it's not the same poor people over. they're still getting bored they're still getting bored <laughs> so anyway there was a uh, wireless patents at the, at the center of this and it was a canadian patent holding company and they lost and apple won and it was a hundred million dollar ah, case well you you just said the important word there did i Can- canadian oh ah okay <laughs> I'm sorry, America and Canada. Well, particularly Texans. We're not implying all Texans are racist against no, Canadians. No, no, of course not. Um, slap my wrist. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, well, that's that's all of the legal stuff. So we can get stuck in. You know in. Apple's been on the other side of this patent thing, though, too. Sorry, I just wanted to throw oh, that sure. in there. Yeah. Absolutely. You it's... know, with their whole rock star consortium. And I think this week there was a story, too, where they're going to get some sort of cash windfall because I think they're selling off some patents or something like that or have been selling off patents. I think the last time we talked about uh, Rockstar on the podcast, it was to say that basically it was being broken up and that the, the consortium was selling off the patents. Yeah, so Apple's supposed to get uh, $392 million additional cash windfall, supposedly in March, this quarter, I guess. So that will cover their or legal bills quarter, for a fortnight. Last quarter, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just interesting how you have to play this game and, and Apple has to end up sort of on both sides of it. It's always been fascinating to me. But but do you not think that... Uh, this is probably the wrong statement to make. Apple don't <laughs> care. They've got enough money to play both sides. Well, I, mean, well, I don't think they are do playing both sides as such, right? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a difference between Apple asserting their intellectual property as a company what makes stuff <clears throat> and non-practicing entities trying to, in my opinion, extort yeah. money from companies what make stuff. I, I yeah. don't see it as symmetrical. Yeah, there is a difference there. Yeah, yeah. And it's True. also different, yeah. actually, to the Apple-Samsung, which is in a case, you know, in, in that case, I think it's fair to say it is symmetrical. It's, you know, one company what makes stuff suing another company what makes stuff, and Apple are on both sides of that kind of argument. Yeah. And one could argue, of course, that Apple do not go around copying on Samsung, but blah, blah, blah. Didn't mean to leave us in the in the legal muckery because I like to get out of it as quickly as possible. I, and I agree with you, Adam, absolutely. But actually, do you not think recently that a lot of and I, I think actually, Bart, that you've done a good job here because there was a time when every single Apple podcast was going on. 
not every single Apple podcast, but a lot of Apple podcasts were going on and on about the legal pros and cons and forwards and backwards and backwards. And and you're keeping it concise and it's still going on in the background. Yeah. And, you know, it's good to be aware of it, but actually a lot of people now, and my, my comment earlier about, you know, Texans getting bored of it, actually. It's Gaz getting bored of it. It when uh, I think the world people, is getting bored. Of I think it. we're everyone's getting bored of it. Yeah. yeah. No, I've thought long and hard about whether or not to keep this segment in the show, and my thoughts on it are that it is actually worth checking in once yep. a month on the progress, but not yep. dwelling forever. Nope. And that Let's is the, the joy of the, the joy of a monthly show is you can kind of start yeah. to see the bigger story arcs and just sort of you know fill in the next chapter and move on. Yep. So let's move on. Cool. So the first story we obviously have to talk about is a Spring Forward Apple event. How, how could we not talk about that? We haven't um, talked about that yet. Well, <laughs> so long ago. It's bad timing on a monthly podcast, I guess, because they had it very early in the month. <laughs> so yep. it was basically a few days after we last recorded this show. But there are actually some advantages to waiting back because there's been some developments and some of the things that we can fill in a bit more detail. Mm-hmm. Just very quickly to say that um, we expected this to be about the watch, obviously, but that was actually the last thing Apple shared with us. Before we got to the watch, we had three other bits of news to get through. So first up was a very, very token update on the Apple TV, in my opinion. Um, a price cut, and Americans get HBO, and apparently they get it first, or as an Apple get it first, but not first by much, because Sling TV just announced that they're getting HBO before Game of Thrones comes out. So, hmm? It's a couple of weeks, maybe. Yeah. At best. Now, as a European, I am, of course, deeply disinterested in this because <laughs> there's nothing here. I'm disinterested in it. And I'm American. Uh, as, a, as a European, and in particular, somebody who lives under the uh, remit of Sky, mm. ain't going to be anything coming our way because Game of Thrones, if, if, if Apple try and, and, and HBO um, try and put Game of Thrones through Apple TV in the UK, I think you'd see a massive legal case. Well, they, they just it, don't have the rights. So Correct, correct. And Sky, that's it. So, you know. Yeah. Can, you guys, can you guys get it on purchase? Like, do you guys get it on purchase like we do? That's how I, I, I could money. basically, I'd, I'd have to subscri- subscribe to Sky, which is one thing that I have uh, not done up to now, full stop. Um, for my own personal reasons, and um, Game of Thrones is not something which would encourage me. The only thing that would encourage me to buy anything from Sky is a little bit of F1, and even then, it, I'd take it with a bad taste in my mouth. But that, that is my own personal view of Sky, and no one else's. Regardless of the of the TV and the, and the streaming and, and getting it in its current season, what I'm asking about is, do you guys get... Uh, HBO content via the iTunes store? No. Can you buy no. Game of... No. Well, okay, in Ireland we can't. I don't believe you can in the UK no. either, can you? No. HBO stuff? No. no. It, no it's basically, sucks. it's it's sold you, here you through... Might, you might be able to get a bit, but uh, it, I haven't looked... Hands up, I haven't looked thoroughly, but... but it's not the won't... new stuff, Gaz. It, it's, no, it, the correct. new stuff is basically sold to our traditional television sure. companies have a good Absolutely. fight over who's going to pay HBO yep. for the rights. Yep. And then whoever wins that fight gets to show it on their channel. Yeah, agree. Mm-hmm. So here, cause here's how I've been dealing with the game of Thrones thing. Cause you know, I like the show a lot, but I'm just a whole season behind cause I buy it on season pass on, on iTunes. And ah. it's, I think just under $40, $40 us to get each yeah. season. Well, and so as opposed to, since that's really the only thing I want from HBO, if I wanted mm. to go with this new HBO now service, it's 15 bucks a month. 
Okay, so, when you put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, now, I'm, I'm getting all the other HBO content, so if I really wanted more of that, and I'm kind of interested in, they have a show called Silicon Valley, I guess that's supposed to be pretty funny and, and mm. decent. Um, but I, don't, I just don't know that I can really justify it. I, I really am happy doing the a la carte thing and just buying individual shows at $40 a pop because, you know, on cable, my bill would, would go to hundreds of dollars, probably, yeah. you know, $300 so, or $120, excuse me, a month really okay. to get all of the content okay. that I so wanted. Let me, ask, let me ask the question. What season is Game of Thrones on at the moment? They're just entering season five. Okay, I can get through iTunes uh, season four at £23.99 for the season. Yeah. season okay, four. so you guys can get it. So that's how I've been, that's how I've been watching the show, and it's worked out right. great. Yeah. So did I hear, I mean, one of the things I didn't understand, I've heard in podcasts um, since the announcement. Um, so do people in America pay quite a lot for their um, cable television? Yes. 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 Oh, yeah. Okay. Because um, in the UK, it's a lot. It's a, the cable is a lot cheaper than that. Yes, uh, cable television is anyway. Well, I mean, to put it into context, I have cable and internet together, which is two hundred and fifty megs of internet and quite a few channels for eighty euro a month. That's yeah. and a I lot pay less. eighty dollars a month just for my internet. Oh, right. Okay. But I have a really high. I have a really high end. Like I get a hundred. Uh, I think up to a hundred gigabit per second down and 25 gigabit up. Yeah, I was gigabit. just thinking I was just thinking yeah, that's going to be megabit Adam. Oh, megabit, sorry. Yes. <laughs> yes, megabit. Cuz where I work has 100 say, gigabit, wow, but yeah. What sorry. Apple what Apple router are you using? <laughs> no, the airport Uber extreme. I apologize. <laughs> oh. But you get the point. I mean, yes. it's still it's still a pretty good pretty good connection and I think that, but even the base rate is going to be about fifty dollars, fifty forty to fifty dollars a month, and I think you get like fifteen and five or something like that. So right, I mean, I have two and a half times the internet and television for about the same price. Exactly. Yeah, and just the TV. If I wanted to get cable TV, probably comparable to what you're getting, I'm guessing I'd be paying an additional sixty to eighty dollars. So, a month, so, and then if so you start adding premium channels, most people I know who have you know the sports channels that they want and things like HBO, their cable bill just for the cable, just for the television mm. service, is somewhere around a hundred to one hundred and fifty dollars a month. Wow! Yeah. See, guys, suddenly Sky doesn't sound so bad, do they? <laughs> uh, well, no actually, the point the point I I did. Excuse me, I was trying to interrupt there, but um, so we can possibly move on because I know we're all time constrained tonight. But That's actually, true. I think that what that shows is that there is still a big difference between the costing of of cable TV in the US compared to what it is certainly in the UK. I can't comment mm -hmm. out, outside of the UK, but there is still a massive difference to the cost and the influence that it has. So, you know, you can understand why for the US. Um, certainly when Apple announced this deal with HBO early in the month, that there was quite a lot of, you know, it's cheering. a big deal. Yeah, yeah it's a yes. big deal. Because yeah. yeah. to get HBO now, I would have to buy an $80 a month cable package plus pay $10 a month to get the HBO. Now, I can, just for 15 bucks a month, I can get the HBO. Yeah. And also, the, the, those kind of prices explain why Netflix does so well, because, yeah. I, okay, it doesn't have the newest shows, but wow, is it a lot cheaper? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, but I really still want to get to this a la carte place, and that's not happening yet. Because, you know, if I want to get HBO as a channel, and then if other channels start to do this at 15 bucks a month, you're going to very quickly get right back up to a large bill which is what, for your con- monthly well, bill for which, your Yeah, which is exactly what I was I was wondering. You know, if 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 you are paying $15 for the is it one channel or a number of channels, HBO? HBO. Well, they have a couple different channels, but I mean, really, I think with HBO now, you're getting access to all their shows and their back catalog. Okay. You know, it's very much yeah. like a a Netflix sort of thing, but exclusively for HBO content. Yes, yeah, certainly in the UK, I mean, you'd very great, very quickly get up to what you're paying for cable anyway. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm going to move us along into the second surprise announcement, and it was very much a surprise. I don't think anyone saw this coming. So HealthKit has a new big brother called ResearchKit, which is an open source, and Apple have added it to their open source page, so it really is open source, an open source tool for medical research. And the idea being that you use the power of smartphones to get better participation in medical studies and thereby enable medical science. I think it's just cool. Yeah, this is a win-win for Apple. I think, you know... You know, they've, they've opened it up. I, everybody's saying, great, fantastic. Let's see what people can do with it. Move on. Yeah. There, there's a nice story linked in the show notes to sort of the, the behind the scenes of how Research Kit came to be. But basically, a, a senior Apple guy was at a medical conference where a guy stood up and said, what we really need to do research is X, Y, and Z. And he sort of went up to him afterwards and said, I can't tell you who I work for, but we need to talk. And hey, presto, out came Research Kit, which is fantastic. Um, the next, I think it was rather. I think it was cool. I think they spent rather a long time on it in the um, in the in the actual program. But I think it was worth it. Well, uh, at the time, I mean, I, I, in, in retrospect, yes. At the time, I thought, why are they spending so long on something that is cool, but but. Well, it won't affect a lot of people, but I suppose it, you know, looking at it oh, in retrospect, it, oh, it is no, going no, to affect no, no, a lot no. of people. Yeah, this is yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah. going to have a huge impact. It's probably, it was probably the most important thing that they announced during that keynote in terms of, you know, the real impact on the world. Yeah. I oh, absolutely agreed. I just felt yeah. that um, maybe I had, I have the wrong expectations of their announcements and we- see it really as a retail thing. Yeah, but um, this is Apple showing us their, you know, their more... Their fluffy side. Yeah, well, I was going to go with fluffy, side. but yes, <laughs> fluffy. <laughs> the, you know, they're being part of society side. They're, you know, and they have quite a... As companies go, they have quite a big being part of society side. You know, they're, they're quite good on, you know, they're at least trying to fix a lot of the problems in China. They're at least trying to be greener and they're trying to give back to society with these kind of projects. So, you know, they may not succeed all the time, but they are trying more than a lot of companies are. True. So and the it's, next- obvious, it's obviously having a, the, 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 right, the right effect from what I hear. I a lot so. of people are signing up to it. and So that's good. Yes. Um, the next announcement then was again... Well, it was slightly predicted, but I think everyone sort of scoffed at the predictions. They went, no, they're not going to put a MacBook out in a, in a watch event, but they put a MacBook out in a watch event. Uh, and in fact, not just any old MacBook, but a really quite dramatic redesign of a MacBook. Um, this thing is thin like you wouldn't believe. This thing has a 12-inch retina display. It's so thin, in fact, they've had to reinvent the keyboard and the trackpad to mush it all in there. 
um, some sort of butterfly mechanism to make the keys work better, even though they're teeny tiny, and then a haptic trackpad, which feels like you're clicking, even though you're not actually moving anything. It's completely static, but it feels like it isn't. They've also decided it should come in iPhone colors. They made the battery... Spec- Basically, they showed the inside of the thing. It's got a teeny, 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 tiny iPhone-sized motherboard, and then it's got battery. And that's basically what's in there. Lots and lots and lots of battery. So the idea being all day battery life, like an iPad. And uh, a bit like an iPad, it's got a hole to to stick in the headphones and one other hole through which all else must pass. Although it's not lightning, it's USB type C. We could spend the next 20, 25 minutes talking about this product, I think, if we're not careful. And personally, my my own view, rightly Mm -hmm. or wrongly, is I think that what Apple are playing an absolute blinder here with this product. Um, I think it is a uh, a step on from the MacBook Air. Yes, it, absolutely. They are they are bringing the um, the Retina display into a product area which has not been there before. They are bringing a new keyboard design into an area which has not seen it before. They are bringing uh, the touchpad into an area that has not seen this before. Yes, they're also bringing that into... Am I right? They're bringing this into the MacBook Pros as well? Yeah, yeah. they had a, a 13-inch update that has the new track. I think, I think Apple... Uh, what they're doing with this, and I, I've got a feeling that the price will drop eventually, and in years to come, the MacBook Air will disappear. Yep. And I think that, um, that it will have just the MacBook and the MacBook Pro again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, this is their ultimate vision of... And I think you've said this, Adam. I think you have. Correct me if I'm wrong. And I agree with it if you have. And I've said it over on, on my Mac. And I believe that this is almost that the it's it's almost an iPad Pro. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I was and, maintaining. And I totally agree with that. Yeah. I had maintained before it came out, you know, when we were hearing rumors of an iPad Pro and sort of this notebook thing that I felt they could be one and one in the same thing. I'm not so sure I'm convinced of that. Again, because we're starting to hear more of the 12-inch iPad Pro rumors. But I think this is definitely Apple saying, here, we're bringing back a consumer notebook. Um, A lot of consumers were buying the Air, and they're just taking that out of the mix and saying, look, we're going to go back to this. We've got consumer notebook, Pro notebook, consumer Mac, Pro Mac, and... um, you know they're 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 going back to that sort of four quadrant thing, and I think this I think was them they're, sort of they're, they're probably strug- they're probably struggling because you've got, you you've definitely got I totally agree that you've definitely got a fuzzy area between the current iPad um, top end and the current low end um, MacBook, and there is definitely yeah. a fuzzy area as to which way do you go, and and a lot of consumers still dwell on the fact that every Every single one of them probably go to work and have, guess what, in front of them every day? A keyboard. Hmm. Right. And I think that this is where, but they love coming home and actually picking up an an iPad, which is light, easy, you're on, it's online, bang, it's there. Because how many ports has an iPad got? Effectively none. Correct. Yeah. So it's got well, a power port. And this is kind of going down that, that, that route as well. And I think Apple are definitely playing a corker here. And they're testing very, they're testing three or four, possibly even five different areas of marketing and product, product engineering. Yeah, I, I think it's going to come down to 
I think at this point where Apple's drawing the line is they're going to give you hardware that's very similar on both sides of that equation. And then your choice is going to be the operating system and software that you want to yeah. run. Yeah, I think well, that's where the line is at this point. It's, you know, if you want super light like an iPad, but you want to be able to run all your OS X apps and, and run OS X, then here's the MacBook. Otherwise, you know, stick in the iOS ecosystem and you've got iPad and pro- probably this thing that'll be an iPad Pro. You see, what struck me about this was that it was only a company, you know, I mean, I know Tim Cook loves the phrase, only Apple could. It's, it's become his sort of ta-da thing, mm-hmm. you know, that Steve used to do. But this is actually an exact example of something only Apple could do, because most corporations don't have a very flat structure. They have very segregated departments. And so in Microsoft, you have, you know, Office people, and you have PlayStation people, and you have Windows people. Whereas in Apple, you just have Apple people. And it is so obvious that everything they learn about the iPad is in this Mac. And only a company with that kind of a flat structure can do that kind of thing. And I think it's fabulous. I mean, from an engineering point of view, I'm in love with this machine. Yeah, yeah. Um, like you said, we can go on and on on this. The, the only last thing that I want to comment on this is about the USB-C. Well, we um, have to talk about that. Like, yeah, <laughs> in my, well, so my opinion on that is if you, if you really dig into it, it actually is a pretty amazing um, bit of technology. Um, you know, there's rumors mm. that Apple had been involved in helping develop it and, and those sorts of things. But all I'll say on it is I really feel after sort of reviewing it and looking at it that this is Apple's subtle way of saying, look, you know, we tried, we tried this um, Thunderbolt thing. Uh, it didn't really gain traction in the market the way that we wanted. It's still a great connector. I don't think they're, I don't think they're having it go away anytime soon. Um, it still has some advantages over USB-C, but I really think moving forward, we're going to see Apple moving everything, a, a lot of stuff over to USB-C. And I think the Thunderbolt will stick around on the Pro products yes. for a little bit, maybe two or three years. I think um, even longer than that. And ultimately uh, be replaced. Uh, I, I think, think it's I think just like, Thunder, just like FireWire. I, th- I, think, I think Thunderbolt is going the way of FireWire. But USB, I, I really don't see the Mac Pro losing Thunderbolt. Again, I, I, not, just, I just not don't. In the next, ne- not in the next revision. Maybe not the next revision after that. But after that, it it could. And there might be something entirely new at that point. So I'll, get, I'll give it five years, Adam. I'll give it five years. Oh, okay, but yeah. Thunderbolt is an open standard from Intel, just like USB-C is. So I would expect to see, you know, as USB-C gets faster, which it will, and as USB-C approaches Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt won't be there anymore because it'll have gotten faster too. So I see the two going in parallel. The, the, like we had for years, we had USB. Well, we'll see who's right. Hmm? <laughs> I, I, I think we're going to see less and less Thunderbolt ports over the next few generations of products to no, the point I don't. where we're down to that one or two units that has one Thunderbolt port in it. And then I, I think it goes away. I, I think on the Quadrant, the Pro side is going to keep Thunderbolt for years. And the consumer side is it never really had it, and it's not going to get it. Problem is, is the vendors aren't supporting it. It, it doesn't have support from outside of Apple and Intel. But it so. does for the really high end stuff pros care about. Like an external graphics processor is going to be done over Thunderbolt, and no one cares about that but pros. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to stay there for the really and, beefy and, stuff, and it's and, never and, going to be popular. And but I think to Adam's point, the the 
where at where Apple will come from, and I think I I can see I can see Thunderbolt going away, and that that hurts me because I've spent two hundred and fifty pounds on a OWC Thunderbolt port. Okay, right. but 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 I still see it on a professional item, um, product yeah. for the time being for the next two or three years. Um, but but I can I can certainly see Apple just moving away from it certainly and. I, I think that it is something which, um, from Apple's perspective, they want to move away. And unless it gets traction, as you say, both of you have said, that unless it gets traction, that's it. Apple doesn't Okay, that's care. not actually what I'm saying. Okay. No, that's what I'm saying. That's what Adam's saying, but I'm saying something very different. I am saying that it is staying in the Pro machines, and it's not going to get popular traction, but it's going to remain important for Pros. And, and, and sorry, gonna... I, I lost my track slightly. Yes, absolutely. Agreed with you. Sorry, Bart. Um, I, but if Apple do not see enough traction in the Pro market, they will wipe it out. And that's, I think, where Adam is coming from. That's what well, I, I think. It's in already five happening. years' time. I already, I already think they've made that choice, but... Part, you think? Do you think Thunderbolt three on a future product? Because I, I do. Don't yeah. See it. The, the, yeah. The reason the reason I slightly disagree is they have put so much traction on the Mac Pro <laughs> in Thunderbolt. With, and then the, the, the yeah the 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 big cylinder and the Pro laptop. I just don't see it going away anytime soon. And I see improvements to Thunderbolt coming to those platforms. I could be wrong. We, we'll see in a couple of years' time. But I, I think it's here for the long haul. I'm guessing but, the next version of the MacBook Pro has all USB-C ports and maybe one Thunderbolt port. Okay, that would okay, be very port. telling. If, if that's yeah. true, then I completely change my mind and I agree with Adam. <laughs> but if if that's not true, then I'm going to stick with my point of view. Anyway, I do. So that's my prediction. We'll see if we'll see if I'm right. I could be totally wrong. Well, so I, who, you know, that's the fun of think? this, right? <laughs> we won't know until it comes out. Um, I do want us just to highlight that there was an awful lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt put around about this USB-C port where some idiots decided that, well, it has the word USB in it, therefore it must be vulnerable to the new bad USB bug that's doing the rounds, right? Absolute bunkum. There's a link in the show notes to a very good post by Rich Mogul, the security guy over at Tidbits. If you're still concerned, have a read of, of Rich's post. It's explains it all really quite well. Yeah, he's great. Um... I personally am really, 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 really excited about the haptic trackpad. And th- this notion that force touch is going to be a thing that we're going to get across Apple's entire line. Yep. I mean, the, the, the no, the, the, just the notion that I could fast forward with more vigor and go faster is just magic to me. I'm really Have you t- tried that on the 13-inch on the Retina? Have you I haven't, because I haven't, I haven't had a chance it? to. But just the concept of it that, you know... It's, it, it's, it's an extra dimension. It's a little dimension. tricky. It's a little... Finicky, so um, yeah, it, it's it's cool, but it was kind of hard to do, and that's probably just a, a thing of getting used to how the technology works. But I played around with it in the Apple Store for a little bit, and um, I think a lot of people, a lot of the stories I were re- I had been reading, mm-hmm. maybe overhyped it for me because when I tried it out, I went, oh, that's kind of neat, but it's another one of those gestures that I don't know how much. I would use it, but maybe it's because I'm not a gesture guy. I try to use the gesture stuff on the trackpad, but it, 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 it's, they've never found their way into my day-to-day sort of workflow and usage. Well, I, I use a Mac, so I use desktop Macs, and I use a Mac with, mm-hmm. a, with a wired Apple keyboard with a number pad, and next to that, a big Apple trackpad. 
and right. I use gestures all the time. I'm swiping over and back between spaces. I am minimizing. I am maximizing. I use gestures all the time, and I love it to bits. And yeah. the one so it might weak, be bigger for you. The, the, well, the weak point you see in those trackpads, which I love to bits, is the physical clicker breaks. Now, sometimes it breaks through use, but more often than not, it breaks because I do something stupid, like drop something heavy on it. <laughs> and then it's 60 quid, whereas a, something without moving parts is a much better fit than something which is constantly you know, going click, click, yeah, click. The other problem with those trackpads is they only work if they're on a very flat surface. So, like, yes. I have one that's on a countertop that's tile, and the tiles are just slightly off. And if you don't have it positioned over the correct sort of area, clicking isn't always accurate. So, Oh, it, it's amazingly sensitive because it has two tiny little balls at the bottom right. for its feet. And like I usually have a, a something like a printer or something as a USB lead out of the side of the keyboard, so it's coming out of the keyboard under the trackpad. And if that trackpad moves a bit, the USB lead stops it clicking, and it's very annoying. Yeah. So yeah, the sooner the moving parts go away, the better. Anyone else have any final thoughts on this interesting little laptop? Who's I, who's it aimed at? <laughs> well, I think Consumers. the name says it all, doesn't it? It's a it's not a pro; it's a MacBook. Well, I'll be interesting to hear how they how they. I mean, considering Apple sell a lot of new Macs to to first time buyers, mm-hmm. I'll be interested to hear what the conversation is going to be when they come to say, "Where do I plug things in?" Because well, the fact is, people going into computer stores, they do have other bits of equipment, mm-hmm. and they that's have less one and well, it is for us. I'm just not quite sure that's no, true. Of, I think it's the opposite way. Now. I think, I think yeah, we sorry. still hang on to physical connections yes. more than the younger generation. Yeah, not oh, younger. No, not, let, not just younger, Bart. Not just younger. New, new users of computing. Yeah. Um, I, you know, people are going to be buying the iPhone and buying the I, uh, Apple Watch. Are going to say. Hmm. Actually, at work, I need the computer to do this email thing stuff, and I'm I'm, I'm not being disparaging here, but there are people that, yeah, really, really email. I have to deal with that as well, and I need a laptop. Okay, hmm. Apple, 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 Mac, book. Yeah, that'll do. Gold. Oh, it matches my phone. Great. <laughs> That's it's funny you. He chuckled at that, but that I think that really is a thing. Yeah, this is this is the machine for. Uh, I think it's one of those Halo machines it's for the yeah. the person who got into Apple via an iPad or an iPhone. Is like I want a computer. What do you do on your computer? Oh, I do web surfing and email and uh, a little bit of you know Word documents or pages numbers. Oh well, here you go. You know, and these are the type of people that. Yeah, they don't. They're not hooking up to a second display. They're not. I mean, the only thing they probably ever plug into the side of their machine, besides maybe a thumb drive, would be a, you know, the power cord. But there, but there are occasions when, uh, um, uh, for example, um, I'm part of a group that that produces PowerPoint documents for worship at church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have a. Um, it's 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 getting on a little bit now. The projector we've had it a few years. It's only got Super VGA connection, so I have to buy an adapter to plug it into my um, my MacBook Air. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, we use a remote control mouse, so there's a dongle for that that has to plug into the computer. 
Okay, but the thing is, there's nothing really changed there because right now you need a dongle, and in the future you're going to need a dongle. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm just thinking about people going into the shop. And plug in the mouse. Yes, and this is going to cost you twelve hundred dollars. Twelve hundred dollars, and then uh, actually, you're going to have to buy an extra adapter as well. Yeah, if well, you will though. But yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, though. You're going to have to spend twelve hundred dollars. Oh, and an extra seventy dollars on this. Oh, what's an extra seventy dollars? Okay, but also right. Mm, if you, any Mac for the last as long as I've owned one, if you want to plug it into a projector, you have had to buy something mm. to VGA. Yep. So there's no actual change there. And because USB-C is an open standard, I am expecting a, a, a flurry of cheap products from all the usual people who make cheap stuff, all the Belkins out there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And already you could buy for $70, which is not cheap, but that's from Apple. You can buy an adapter that gives you USB ports, another charge port, and a display port. So in other words, you plug in your monitor, you keep charging your Mac, and you plug in your mouse, all in one dongle for $70. And that's Apple's price. So when yep. Bell can do their version of that same dongle, it will be half that price. Yeah, there's going to be all kinds of interesting mini docks and all kinds of all kinds. And that's the that's the the other point I was trying to make is like Thunderbolt. I think because of the licensing, because it requires the control chips and and, and things like that, it was cost prohibitive for accessory manufacturers in a lot of ways to actually make accessories. And when consumers buy a, a notebook and then they're like, "I need some Thunderbolt stuff." And they go out to look for all of those things that they want to attach to it and don't find a lot of stuff. That really turns them off to the technology as well. So, and USB-C is, is already had a plethora of companies immediately after Apple. And this is the first consumer notebook. I think the Chromebook was announced after, right, Apple's? A few um, hours after, but after. To, yes. to have USB-C. And, and almost immediately, my inbox flooded with PR releases from every accessory company saying, yep, we've got USB-C this and USB-C that. And USB, you know, so it's going to be like the USB, original USB revolution sort of all over again. And whereas Thunderbolt stuff took 6 to 12 months before we saw accessories, yeah, I think we're going to see these you know, this month. Right. Everyone else on. who makes an ultra-thin notebook is going to be using USB-C. This is, mm-hmm. this is not Apple only. But I, but I think Adam said a very important word there, consumer. Oh, and, yeah. And, and the, the, the issue is there's going to be an awful lot of people that say, actually, I'm not a consumer. I, I'm, I'm somebody who needs more power, more speed on the connection because I have terabytes of data, which you're not going to keep in the cloud for me, Apple. I need to keep local and I need speed fast connection to that data yeah, but get, get now, that's a power user and numerically absolutely. speaking that's a minority user absolutely so so the point is if they start taking that thunderbolt connection and usb3 usb c dash c connection can't get up to those sort of speeds which now a lot of those pro users who have moved to thunderbolt can't get through USB-C and they, they move away from that, how much of a nail is that going to be in the pro users? And how much of a trickle down further on is that going to have uh, on an effect in Apple? And if they don't care, are we just moving into mm, Apple sell fridges and ovens for this particular type of market? But Gaz, you're assuming that I'm wrong and that Apple isn't keeping Thunderbolt. I'm convinced they are for exactly the reason. And I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. And that's why (laughs) Um, I think on the... Here's the thing, too. You know, USB-C is capable of Thunderbolt 1 speeds. But not Thunderbolt 2. (laughs) 
Correct. Not Thunderbolt. <laughs> or three. But I mean, it's still not, a, you know, that's the other thing. And, and the other thing people need to understand is uh, App, Apple's first version of this is actually, is actually crippled to half Thunderbolt speed. Um, but it's not a limitation of the, of the technology from the research that I've done. It's actually a limitation of the Intel chip and the controller that they're using on there. So it's, it's I think, 5 gigabits per second maximum on the MacBook, but USB-C 3.1 or USB 3.1, which is USB-C, basically. I think C is the connector, and then the technology behind it is was what they call USB 3.1. USB yeah. 3.1 is capable of 10 gigabits per second bidirectional, just like Thunderbolt 1 was. So. Uh, I just want to wrap up this discussion just to say that from my day-to-day experience, I know who this computer is for because I see mm-hmm. thousands of them on campus every day. Yeah. Yeah. This is a student computer. Our mm-hmm. students sit in lecture halls all day. They want a laptop. They do not have to plug in because there's 300 of them in a room. They can't all plug into power. So they need machines that have enough battery to get them through the day. We have centralized printing. They don't need, they don't, they never plug into a printer. They just submit their print job Using their wireless connection, it comes out at the printer closest to them. They go collect it with their student card where they then pay for it. Our our students don't share thumb drives. Our students have network storage and cloud storage. Our our, our students never plug anything with a power lead into the side of their computers. They never have any need to. And this is exactly who that computer is for. And there's a lot of people like that in the world. Uh, I think I understand now. I've worked it all out. I'm an old fogey. <laughs> no, it's, it's, but I'm the same, right? Look, we're podcasters. All of us here have at least one thing shoved into the side of our Macs right now. A mic. Yes. We're not normal. <laughs> not Good normal. point. We're not. I'm sorry. sorry sh- did did sh- Apple actually announce anything else at this event? <laughs> oh, yes. Well, to be honest, all they really announced was a price. <laughs> that's true did they say anything new about the apple watch apart no. from getting someone who jogs a lot well okay so a really impressive person who jogs a lot and does great work for charity but nonetheless you but know did, a, did, one, one did, use case but did and, you notice actually that that person still had to carry the phone around with them ah well actually yes, no nope. because there's a story later in the show notes that uh, in one of her blog posts christy turlington burns has said that actually when she's doing workouts she doesn't need to have her phone with her to get accurate results Mm. Yeah, the the you have your phone with you for the first few times, and apparently it learns your stride over time. Uh-huh. So as you're running, it will get more accurate with its counts, and then you can leave the phone at home, and it'll still be able to store those those counts. So it'll use the GPS, I think, initially, C- and the I, phone to get all I, that data. Can I say when they the first profile. announced the phone, the the i the Apple Watch? Okay. My impression was that it could do that, that you could actually leave your phone at home full stop anyway, and that it could actually still, um, with its um, internal processes... um, Mm -hmm. The accelerometer is in the phone. Sorry, is in the device, not in the phone. Yeah, accurately tell where you'd gone, how much you'd done, etc., and then download that back to the phone. But it sounds like, actually, it's not quite that accurate, and you need to to do a bit of pairing and matching. Okay, the the whereas was never on the agenda, because we we knew from day one there was no GPS chip in the the watch. Yes, yes. Yeah, but what it what it will do is use the GPS on the phone initially. So the first few times you do your workout or your run, you're going to want to use the phone because apparently according to what this blog post is, and I didn't read it uh, thoroughly, but this is what people have told me, so I'm going off of that. Okay. Uh, people who I trust. <laughs> uh, apparently, uh, 
what happens is is it will uh, use that data to sort of learn your stride and make that uh, count that it can track more accurate. And so then after a certain point, once it has that data, it, you can leave the phone at home. It's not going to track where you ran, but it will accurately track how you were running, your heart rate, you know, all that stuff gets stored on the local storage. There's also, I think, two gigabytes available for music. So you can use wireless Bluetooth headphones. You can have your music on there for running. So it's going to be capable of doing quite a bit without, for a workout without the phone. Yeah. So let's get to the brass tacks here. Yep. The Apple Sports Watch, the smallest version, the 38mm version, $349. If you would like four more millimeters, that will cost you another $50, giving you $399. If you would like stainless steel, you're starting at $549, going up to $599 for the 42 millimeters. And if you would like gold, you are starting at not $999, but $10,000. So just upfront about it, $10,000, and you may keep going from there to your heart's content. (laughs) Um, you obviously have no sort of uh, concept of value and money so keep going just keep giving Apple your money the other the other one that disappointed me is if you want um, stainless steel space black Mm -hmm. be prepared to to start at uh, 1099 for that and wait what or 1049 I think it is for that and then 1099 so they in the in the Apple Watch version you have mm-hmm. the regular stainless color you also have what they call the space black which is the right. stainless in a black finish. You can only get the black finish in the version that comes with the black stainless steel link bracelet oh. and the price of that starts at 10 I think 10.49. Right so it's the 5 whatever for the stainless steel plus the few hundred for the stainless steel band. <sighs> Yeah, well, have I, have I, it doesn't even add, it doesn't even add up like that because okay. it's just if expensive. you could get if you could get it at the starting price, uh, you know. So if I you could get the stainless with the sport band, the the space black version with the sport band at five ninety nine, I believe the link bracelet is two forty nine by itself. Right. So you'd you'd be at six hundred plus two forty nine. So what's that eight forty nine? Yeah. But you can't even get you can't build your own combination out of the box it, apple is only offering it with the steel link bracelet at a price premium of so ten nine. let me get this straight adam apple again charging extra for black <laughs> yes when have exactly. we ever heard that before <laughs> it's nothing new but i was a little disappointed because that was sort of that was that was the one that i was lusting after the most right and when the pricing came out i went nope there's no way i'm spending that on a watch and uh-huh. i will go with the i will go with the sport version with the black band and space gray for um i'm going to do the 42 millimeter so it'll be 599 have uh, have i missed some three uh, sorry 399 right yeah have I, have i missed something here i mean is is it some kind of special stainless steel i've not come across before uh, no, it's, well, just, it's a different finish. It's just black versus being, you know. So it's oh right. So uh, it's not actually stainless steel. Well, it's stainless no. steel plus with some sort of treatment to make it black because stainless steel isn't black au naturel. No, right. I, I, I'm assuming yeah, no, I'm it's got like an anodized steel. black finish on it. Is no, what yeah, I believe. No, I'm talking about the stainless steel one now. Right. Well, aren't weren't also cheap watches made out of stainless steel? Oh, I think they were plated with stainless steel. <laughs> Ah, no, the okay. cheap ones are aluminum, in Apple's case. 
Oh, well, yes, yeah. I know in Apple's case, I'm thinking about normal watches. No, the cheap watches I used to buy were always stainless steel until you wore them for a while, and then the stainless steel wore off and some sort of cheap yellow metal underneath came uh, through. Uh, gotcha. Oh, yeah, so they were probably plated, was. they weren't. Right, they weren't yeah, so when Apple is selling you a stainless steel watch for $600, it's selling it you a stainless steel watch for $600, not a plated watch. Gotcha. Uh, other than on a pitch on a Saturday, I don't wear a watch. Well, I'm delighted because I wanted the lightest possible one because I plan to use it for cycling and stuff. So 349, 38mm sold. Or at least it would be if they were selling them well, in that's Ireland. Not the lightest, that's not the lightest one, by the way. Is it not? No. Well, it is in my mind. <laughs> Actually, and there's, there's some weird stuff going on because um, I'm going to pull up my show notes and I'll try and get you the link. And I don't know if we can add this to the show notes. But sure. um, somebody did a breakdown of all of the weights of the different uh, watches along with the bands. And this was something ah. I had not thought about. <laughs> the bands are very different in terms of weight. And actually, the, sport, the, the rubberized sports bands are much heavier than some of the other bands, which brings the total weight of your watch to um, you know different weights and even weirder is get this the the white sports band is 10 grams heavier than all of the other versions of this than say like the black <laughs> version of the sport band well yeah exactly weird huh <laughs> okay now i've suddenly developed a, a likeness for that blue <laughs> <laughs> i was yeah, thinking like, silver like with 10, the white band 10 grams in both sizes 10 grams heavier for the white. So I don't know why white pigment is heavier. Or I don't. Well, I know getting pure white plastic is difficult. So maybe they had to put more material in there. Yeah, because white, white is a color that likes to come out yellow. Yes. I was gonna, uh, yeah, you probably have to put more chemicals into white to make sure it stays white. Yeah, it's just, it was weird that it was like, you know, and those, those, like that, those so chemicals you may want to look you, at this chart. Yeah, those chemicals that you put in there are quite heavy. So they're metallic. Well, no, they could be metals or something to keep it yes. lustre. I mean, you just don't know what's going in there, or ceramics or something. So uh, if you're still on the fence, Apple have popped a bunch more videos onto the website showing the UI in action, which, um, I mean, they sh okay, they demoed the UI again on stage, but they didn't really show us anything new that I noticed. No, no. Um, some other stuff that's come out, um, if you'd like to buy Apple Care, that will be $59 for the sports watch, all the way up to 999 for the edition. Although I believe someone pretty much comes out and polishes it for you with the edition. You have like a valet <laughs> service for the next two years where you can phone up Apple at any time for advice and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's not for us plebs. Now, someone wears it for you and runs up, you know, when you say what's the time, they run up and show it to you. <laughs> they tell you the time. That's oh. right. Yeah. <laughs> Let me look at your wrist, sir. Um, the other thing we've learned in the small print, um, if you look on Apple's website, it says it's IPX7 rated, which means it's waterproof to one meter for 30 minutes, which is pretty decent, actually. It makes me not worried about cycling with it. Yeah. Um, the battery is replaceable, but not by human. By, well, by humans, but not by regular peeps. Uh, basically, you give it to Apple, they put a new battery in it, and they give it back to you. Uh, it's been approved by the FCC, which is obviously important um if you're curious about how it came to be wired got some exclusive interviews with kevin lynch and i put together a very interesting story about you know what happened in the previous few years when they couldn't talk about it and it's interesting to see how we got to where we are now so that's in the show notes and something else that really caught my eye was so apple on the day showed these really cool videos of you know gold flowing and the whole the machining and the cool stuff they do and laser etching and all sorts of cool stuff 
And a guy who knows about manufacturing basically went through the videos and applied his expertise to be able to tell us in detail what kind of things Apple is doing here, what's actually going on in these videos, and what are Apple's processes. And it is really quite cool. So I've linked that in the show notes as well. Which one is that? That is the second last one in the show notes in that section. Cool. So Atomic Delights is the name of the blog, which is a cool name. So and it, just so I can give credit, it was Renee Ritchie over at iMore who wrote up the information on all of the different watch bands. Cool. And so if you want the absolute lightest band, it's going to be the, um, I just had it up here, the classic buckle huh. coming in at 16 grams for the 38 millimeter or 19 grams for the 42 millimeter. And for comparison, the sports bands are about 40, 40 to 50 grams. Okay, then. So rubber is heavy. <laughs> Apple's version, at least. Apple's version of rubber is heavy. Hopefully it's strong. You, I'm strong. surprised they haven't put a video out about the rubber that they're using. Well, we've got a yeah. video about everything else. <laughs> Here's the most interesting thing. So the sports bands are, are second heaviest behind the steel link bracelets also. Uh, and, and actually, uh, being somebody who has actually broken several watches while playing or refereeing, refereeing, no, Goodness, refereeing. They shouldn't be attacking you. Well, no, <laughs> but you do push people out of the way. You do get hit by people as they come past. Uh, these bands have to be strong. So mm-hmm. that said, I can understand why some of the sports bands are heavier. True. I am going to move us on, folks. Um right. I actually had quite a few more stories we could have potentially talked about, but I've done some on-the-fly editing because we're under time constraints. So the second big thing I think we really should discuss is the new Steve Jobs book, which has come out this month. So this is a... It's not a biography in the same way that the Isaacson one is. So the Isaacson one is from the moment Steve popped out of the womb until the moment he died. It's sort of a everything that happened to Steve. Whereas this book is much more about the learning experience Steve had, you know basically in his darkest times. So in other words, a brief run-up to how Steve got to be a great big noise in tech, how he then managed to throw it all away and get thrown out of Apple, and how he then managed to rebuild himself and learn through the sort of the away period from Apple to become the person who was ready to have the greatest second act of all time in business. So it's a very different book to the previous one. So I don't, I don't think it's, it's, it's sensible to start saying which is better than the other. They're just completely different books. And it's written by two journalists, so Brent uh, Schlender and Rick Tazelli. And it's strange enough, it's written by two people, but written in the first-person voice, which is a bit odd. But they do say in the foreword that the person of the two who interviewed Steve the most was Brent. So they've decided to write the whole book from Brent's point of view, even though there's two authors. So I guess the first question is, who on the panel has read or partly read this book? I bought it. I but not read? Yet. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a chance to start it yet, no. Okay. Uh, anyone else? No, I've heard an awful lot of commentary about this particular book and an awful lot of commentary about what Apple think about why this book should be released and probably why this book is a little bit more of a better reflection of uh, Steve Jobs, certainly from the business perspective over the last book or over the, um, oh, what's his name? I forgot his name. Yeah, Isaacson. Isaacson's books or yeah. book. And the only... Have you, have you read Sorry. it either? Uh, uh, no, I haven't. In fact, I okay. haven't heard about it very much. I've only heard a couple of comments about it. So, 
Okay, I, I probably should have asked this before the show because we could have done. Some, okay, I've read most I, of it and I'm loving every oh, yeah. minute of it, so I'm dead keen to talk about it. But so, so, oh, cool. so, did you, re- you like read it? or listen to Isaacson's book? I most I certainly did, and I didn't enjoy Isaacson's book. I found it a chore to finish. I did yes, finish it because I, I felt I agree. I'm an Apple podcaster. I must do this now. What I also did with the Isaacson one because Steve Jobs chose Isaacson. And he right. chose Isaacson after having read Isaacson's Einstein biography. So having read the terrible Jobs book from Isaacson, I was like, what? How? So I picked up Isaacson's Einstein book, and because, it's brilliant. Yeah, be- well... Okay. No, I, I thought, like, Isaacson understood Einstein's context within what was going on in physics to the point where he could explain Einstein. He didn't understand Jobs' context. And this new book... 110% gets the context, which is Excellent. why it works. Yeah. Uh, you know, what I've read about Isaacson, and I haven't read a lot of Isaacson's biographies, but I mean, I think the difference is, is Isaacson is a biographer. It is sort of mm-hmm. what he does. And a lot of what I've been told from how he writes, it's very, you know, dry and factual, and which I guess if you're into biographies is something that you, you really want. Like he tries to drill in and get at you know, the actual, the actual person. And that doesn't necessarily make for exciting or interesting writing or storytelling per se, as opposed to like I, what I've heard about this other book is that, you know, it's, it's, it's more engaging in that way. Um, but that doesn't necessarily discount what Isaacson wrote and something that's a little frustrating with the coverage on this. You know, I just want to get this out is Apple's own executives are pointing to this new book saying, this is the book that really, you know, shows who Steve Jobs was as a person, and they've sort of tried to discredit the Isaacson book. But people need to remember that Isaacson was the only one who was sitting down and getting these stories directly from the man himself. Okay, well, no, that's not true, actually, because remember, this book is also based on Brent Schlander's repeated interviews with Jobs over many years. Yeah, but he, so didn't both know, have that. he didn't know Jobs. He wasn't sitting down and getting, you know... Well, he, for... he, he did, actually. He he interviewed Jobs over many years, many times. They had a long-term relationship. Like Okay. So it's not quite the same, though, because he didn't invite... Like, Brent Schneider was never invited over to Steve for the purpose of him telling his life story, whereas Isaacson was. was. So it is different. Yes. And the thing with... The Isaacson thing, right? What makes Isaacson's Einstein book so good is that he was able to put Einstein into context, which I think it makes it not a dry biography. Yeah, it's factual. This happened and this happened and this happened. But he was able to explain why it mattered mm-hmm. and the world into which Einstein was pouring these revolutionary ideas. Yeah, but... but and he didn't uh, do it with Jobs. I, yeah, I, I, yeah. Are we talking about trying to... Un- we all know what Jobs did. A lot of people don't understand, you know, what um, Einstein did. Uh, I, Hand yeah, up. well, I, yeah, okay, but I'm a physics. Remember, I, I, I'm a physics graduate. I, Absolutely, but so that you've hit the nail on the head. A lot of people don't understand why Einstein was important. A lot of people think they know why Jobs was important, and I don't think that Isaacson actually got under the skin of Jobs in that book. I read it and thought, I've I've heard all of this before. And I didn't feel that I was actually reading anything new that I'd heard before. Well, so has the new book changed that? Oh, it has part? for me. Um, okay. So 
in the Isaacson book, one of the periods he skates over, like, it's, I won't say within two lines, but it, it is quite short in the Isaacson book, is those dark years between... So, Steve gets thrown out of Apple, he finds next, he does Pixar, then he comes back to Apple. And Steve. for everybody who's an Apple fan, that is... Right, what happened? Right, because what these guys go into is, how did that change Steve? Yep. Because it did. And, and that's mm-hmm. key. That's key to what happened next. Surely. Should, yes. Ha- so, so surely this, that is key. The, this book gets, gets you into what was going on, how Steve was moulded by his experiences, much more than the Isaacson one does. And a, a, a criticism I've heard is because the Apple execs like it, people are saying, oh, well, it's got all the rough edges knocked off. No, it hasn't. There are anecdotes in here of Steve being every, you know, basically being that guy. I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. trying to use PC words here. Right. But Steve (laughs) being a complete a-hole, right? Completely. It's in here. It is not a whitewashing of Steve Jobs. Have you read any of... They haven't read it. Beyond Isaacson and this one, have you read any of the other steve jobs book like second coming with steve jobs or i haven't read the second coming i'm trying to remember the title of the other i have read a few others i haven't i haven't read all the others but i have read a few others there's an original apple book too called the the little kingdom that's very hard to come by Um, definitely haven't read that it's out of print and and yeah it's referenced in um in um oh this the silicon valley book um not Pirates of Silicon Valley, that's the movie. Um, it's a good movie, though. Oh, shoot, now I can't remember the title. But it was referenced in um, the guy who does folk- Folklore.org, um, former Apple employee, and I'm totally blanking on his name. Um, anyway, he, he, wrote a, he wrote a book of short stories about his time at Apple developing the original Apple computer and stuff like that. And cool. I'm blanking on the name. Of, oh, Revolution in the Valley is the name of the book. Ah, okay. And... Um, and Little Kingdom was referenced in that book because it was written at the time, you know, they were developing the Apple. So, anyway. Yep. If you're looking for other books. And Waz's book is amazing. If you haven't read it. Which is I Was. a side note. Yeah. I Was. Yeah. Basically, I'm not... I'm not the world's best reader. I, I don't read often, but I did. I do, I do read, you know, if a book catches me, it'll catch me. Um, and, you know... But I'm not an avid reader. But this one has me caught. I am. Um, it's a page turner. It really yeah. sucks you in. Revolution in the Valley is Andy Hertzfeld. Sorry. Ah, no. There's there's an interesting point of view I'd quite enjoy reading. So. There's it's a, that's a great book and it's a bunch of short stories. So it's kind of it's kind of fun to uh, to read through that. Yeah. Um, because you can Adam, read little anecdotes about you know rounded rectangles and and yeah, Adam, how they did that, icons and stuff. Adam, is that is that about? Um, is that more about Steve Jobs, or is it about the Mac, or is it? Is it's it, more about the development of the Mac. And yeah, sort of yeah. You see, you see, I think engineering. I, I think for, for me, there is there is a time period between um, Steve Jobs leaving Apple, finding out actually, you know, for him, understanding where he went wrong, and then coming back, going into next, and then moving forward and getting himself back into a position. I, I want to understand why did he want to get back to take ownership of Apple? Well. Now, we if you read know. this, if we you read know. this book, guys, you will get that insight. Absolutely, and that—that's the point I'm trying to get to. That the fact that there is there is a lot of stuff I think between the early years, which everybody knows exactly all of the little details, but there is an intermediate intermediate period where it actually what happened, what what changed him? Why did he then make the step into somebody who could change a company that was on the brink of bankruptcy? 
bankruptcy into the company that it is now. Bart, does this book in this book does get into the fact that he really didn't want back in control of Apple, right? Even when he came back, that was um, the I'll tell you that in a wee while. I've just got just before I started recording this show, I just finished reading the chapter of how next was a, it's a rock bottom. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, so when he came back, apparently he tried really hard not to get into that leadership position because I, I think he's always felt that he's not that type of that's not really his type of role, and that's the interesting stuff that we want to know about. Um, yeah. It yeah. is, and he didn't enjoy Next because he's not selling to business people is not what Steve Jobs was good at. Yeah. Anyway, I can from a person who f- generally doesn't who often finds books tedious. This one has me completely sucked in. I am absolutely enjoying every minute of this book, so I can highly recommend that. I think it's very insightful. And yeah, I would say it's some money well spent if you're going away on holiday somewhere. You know, a bit of sun, a bit of Steve Jobs can't go wrong. Mm. Anyway, we have gone on for quite some time. Um, I'm going to skip over most of the rest of the show notes. Um, let me say, just want to say that on April 1st, Apple was 39 years old, which I think we should mark. Great. Happy and birthday. I think we should also say that um, we had talked about Apple being sort of a bit more socially responsible than many companies. There were two stories that caught my eye this month in that regard, apart from the whole hoo-ha about the Religious Freedom Act. That is a very fascinating topic, but not one we can do in two minutes, so I'm going to just not do it instead of doing it badly. Uh, but Apple have are transitioning their security staff into actual employees, which means they get a 25% pay rise. Or no, the shuttle bus drivers get 25% pay rise, and the security guys get to have all the benefits of being employees. And that's the kind of thing that I like to see when Apple do that and sort of spread the love around a bit. And just to flag that, the Q2 earnings call will be on the 27th of April, so we know for sure we'll be talking about that in the next episode. Anything else anyone wants to throw in before we wrap up? I'm looking. I'm still looking forward to I to uh, um, photos. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we will talk about it, guys. Have no fear. No, no, no. But no, from uh, uh, putting that aside, I'm mm-hmm. still looking forward to photos. We'll stop whether we talk about it or not. Okay. I'm still looking forward to it. Well, I think you're an iPhoto user, so I think you yep. have a lot to look forward to. I'm yes, an Apple Tree user, and I fear quite a bit. Yes, I agree. Okay, folks, thank you very much for your time. Um, Apologies, we went a little bit long. I blame Apple for being too interesting. Uh, (laughs) So, in reverse order, Nick, thank you very much for joining us. And do you want to give out Twitter handles or links or anything to the listeners? Uh, Yeah, just my Twitter handle, which is uh, Spligosh, S P L I G O S H. Excellent. Thank you. Gaz, would you like to give out some links? Yeah, gazmaz.com. Uh, you can catch me at Gazmaz on the Twitters as well, though I've been a little bit quiet. I've mainly just been tweeting uh, basically where I've been refereeing. But it, things have been busy at work. Uh, and you can also catch myself and Guy over at the MyMac.com podcast. Excellent, which is also a podcast on the Stoplight Network like this good show is. You always catch me out there, uh, Bart, and do a much better job at that bit. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, Adam Christensen. Thank you for joining us, Adam. And what links yeah, would you thanks. like to give to people? Uh, well, you've got maccast.com. Um, also, uh, iOS, the iosshow.com, which is a show I do with Jeff Gamut from the Mac Observer and Michael Johnston, more iOS-focused. Um, and then also, I am pretty much a regular on the Mac show uh, on the British Tech Network, if you guys want to check that out. so 
Excellent. Uh, just before finishing up, just to say that uh, if you would like to support the show, you will find giant big blue buttons in the side of the show's homepage at lets-talk.ie, where you will also find full show notes for every episode with all of the links to the various news stories that we have talked about. And uh, with that, I'll just say thanks for listening. I'm Bart Bouchas. You'll find me at bartb.ie. Until next time, happy computing. Listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. This is Private Eye Macintosh, and I'm here to tell you about a book written about me and my search for the Maltese Cube. Yes, it's a fine book. I think you should get it. Quiet, you. It combines technology, Mac trivia, action, murder, suspense. Oh, just tell them where to get it. I'll get to that. Romance. Film noir detective fiction. I can't stand it anymore. It's called The Maltese Cube, and it was written by my Mac writer and podcaster Guy Searle. Find it on Amazon. It's only $2.99 and coming soon to the Apple's iBook store. Don't forget, it's The Maltese Cube and so inexpensive. You know you're not in it, right? I mean, the next one, right? Sure thing, Louis. You know, this could be the start of a beautiful friendship. Get the Maltese Cube on Amazon and soon in the iBook store.